Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Roll Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food producers and food consumers. J.C. Cole checking in like clockwork every Wednesday from American Heritage Farm in New Jersey, somewhere, undisclosed location. Undisclosed. Yes. And, you know, it's pretty funny because, um, as you know, I got written up in some articles and they keep on asking me, can we come and disclose your location? No, (laughs) no, no. I don't want to be around 25 million people and and, uh, that all know that I have the food. Hey, did you see that I, I finally got both segments? So the full hour where you described how we put that together is now on Beck News. Yes, I did see that. Thank you very much. I'm sending it off to some investors. And I still have my Lehigh hat. (laughs) They see. Yes. And, um, yeah, thank you very much. Kind of hard to find anything newsworthy to talk about this week. Yeah. Yeah. bunch of psychopaths trying to nuke the entire planet that's that's all um you know you got this guy Zelensky, who was a puppet i mean very clear it's a puppet of the uh, u.s state department victoria Nuland, put in place and um you know people are star- starting to recognize that and and he's recommending uh to NATO that they take a preemptive nuclear strike on russia well, you know, that's like, well, why don't we just light, uh, you know, light the fuse to blow up the world for for a country we didn't know about or care about for the last 50 years? So. So I've been thinking about that a lot this week because, you know, there are people trying to convince us that Putin was going to go. He, he's he's moving the nuclears. The, the atomic bomb is on the move. Stand by. Be careful. Look for a shelter. The people that push the button, they got to know that they're going to perish too. I'm talking about Putin or Zelensky. or I don't think Zelensky pushes anything but his own button. But they have to know that the long-term outcome is not good for anybody, let alone just who they're trying to target. So I just think it's all um, like two chickens in the yard fighting puffed up trying to pretend they're going to kick the the chicken snot out of the other one. Well, I think think if we add in one other thing, people just can't wrap their head around the concept that there is evil in the world. Yeah, I agree. And and once you establish that there is evil, right, now we might not know necessarily the motivations or the directions or whatnot of it, but you can see it. And some of these people have a death cult, you know, and well, I guess my own case in point to uh, counter my discussion, uh, those kamikaze pilots in from Japan in the forties, they were pretty well committed to making a difference, weren't they? Yes. And it's an excellent, excellent example where it shows how we can be programmed um, to destroy ourselves. And if you remember, what was it? The, um, the Kool-Aid adventure down in, um, Jimmy Jones, you know, Jones 
where, okay, it's better to have everybody commit suicide than, than what? Than live on and have a different life? I don't know why you have to bring in a Nebraska product that had nothing to do with the, it was just simply the vehicle, and yet you condemn the Kool-Aid. Well, no, it's just uh, unfortunately, you know, same. You know, I got to, I've only lived 70 miles from where that's created. They still have Kool-Aid days in Hastings, Nebraska. But I'd be willing to bet that Kool-Aid sales since that day have never regained. Well, probably not to their popularity, but, uh, yeah. Um, because everybody uses the phrase, oh, he drank the Kool-Aid. That's, that's true. You know, we, we get these phrases burned into our psyche. That's one of them. The other one is conspiracy theory. You know, anybody who believes that, uh, you know, turns off their brain from a conspiracy theory, um, uh, congratulations, you've been programmed by the CIA. Yeah. And, and it's been proven that the CIA hired uh, hired um, uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew um, to teach them how to manipulate the psyche of people. Well, here's one thing that I'm pretty well convinced of that we need to just stop doing as a society. And we've done it here. You've done it. I've done it is, is pick out those certain days that, this this thing's going to happen. We don't know what day anything's going to happen. Right, right, and and uh, and and along those lines, there seems to be that somebody is playing with a schedule and a set of rules that we're not privy to. Yeah. Um, and and. Uh, so it's almost like a three-dimensional chess game, and we only learned how to play checkers, and, and we're trying to understand what's going on. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, very, very clearly we see what's happening to our European cousins, and this is this is horrifying, you know, um, that uh, they're manipulating the energy price up a thousand percent. And, and, you know, electricity and heating and gas and, and you know, what, what can you do is if you're just a, you know, middle-class person, mm-hmm. you know, um, which uh, it actually does lead into one of the articles um, <laughs> that I, headlines. Sweden braces for a winter of power shortages. Swedes are asked to insulate windows, gather the whole family in a single room, and build a makeshift hut out of blankets. Well, don't you just love a government that really takes care of you? (laughs) You know, what perplexes me about this whole thing is uh, that they want us to believe that mankind cannot exist without electricity. I, I will do whatever it takes to keep electricity on because le- electricity makes life pretty handy. But there were generations, thousands of generations of people who existed before electricity. You just actually, have to, to re- reshift your thinking. Look, look at the other side of it. We really didn't have electricity till 19, you know, what, 1920, 1930. Um, 
and uh, 1940 on the farms. So 52, I happen to know this number. 1952 was the first year that there were more tractors on farms than horses and mules. Yeah. And 52 was not that long ago. No, it wasn't. Yeah, I that, mean that, that's a great context to put everything into. You're you're absolutely right. Eighty years we've had energy available, uh, just abundant and reliable. Remember, we've we've been saying we've been seduced by convenience. Yes, right. And so, first of all, what the Swedes said is actually quite accurate. Uh, you can heat one room fairly easy, and uh, for instance, if you have a tent. You just put the tent up. That keeps you warm. I, you know, when I was 19, I was, I was, you know, blessed that I got to take a winter survival course in Yellowstone in January. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, for three weeks. Did hey, you survive? I think so. There is rumor. <laughs> there is rumor. <laughs> but, you know, it, you can, so it got down to 32 below zero and you're out there in a pup tent. Um, you can survive without the convenience of heat, but you also have to be smart about it. Right? Mm, therein and, lies our problem. Yes. And, or more, more better word is experience, a little bit of experience and, um, and prepared, you know, uh, so, so make sure that you have those sturdy blankets and, uh, or sleeping bags, um, you know, and, and, and one of the things is, look, if the electricity goes out for a long period of time, even your oil burner won't work because it needs electricity to turn on. Or if uh, if uh, the price of oil gets too expensive. So have alternative methods of heating because it's such a nice comfort and luxury. See, Kelly is going to be very happy that we did not sell that quilting machine. She can continue to quilt and make things to keep you comfortable. Roll Rock. We'll be back with more J.C. Cole Life powered by coal. It's not just a slogan. Folks, it is truly what enables life at a better level. We have an abundant supply of coal. Coal is reliable in terms of uh, electric uh, generation, and we just continue to look past it like it's a demon child. Folks, get more details about how environmentally friendly coal is, and more importantly, reliability. That's the key word in everything that JC and I talk about every single week. Where's your reliable supply of energy? Lignite.com has full details about any question you ever had about coal. Lignite.com. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce alongside JC Cole here to help us prepare. No let other us, purpose. Let us run a little bit on the quilt, the quilting, because if our system breaks, and there's a very large amount of indications that it is going to break, mm-hmm. then your chances are your normal job isn't going to be there. You know, the accountants, the lawyers, the administrators, you know, um, uh, uh, the salesmen in the malls, all that. So what speakers are you going- at meetings? Yes, yeah, speakers at meetings. <laughs> uh, no, your fee will just be uh, uh, resemble goose eggs. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no meetings. I think I'll have time to cut my cedar trees and dig my pole soles by hand. <laughs> right. So, so 
what are you going to do to create an income? You know, and, and that's, uh, that's a good question. And so actually a quilting machine may be quite valuable in a new uh, paradigm, right? A sewing machine, certainly. Um, you know, it, uh, uh, for those who have the ability to weld, uh, you might want to look into um, uh, gas, uh, wood, uh, syngas or wood gas um, uh, generators um, because you can start to create a type of pro- propane yourself out of out of wood, um, and of course, then you can sell that uh, sell that to the neighbors. As long as you have a wood supply. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, I, I forget about that because I'm sitting in a forest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the plains where I I see like twelve cedar trees. <laughs> that I'm going to go out there and kill when I have don't have a speaking gig. I got to tell you this story because you're going to get a kick out of it. It's just kind of funny. Our youngest, 17, senior in high school, is uh, valedictorian of her class. She's going to graduate high school with 34 college credit hours. One. <laughs> I mean, I mean there, this girl is just uh, off the charts in terms of what she can accomplish. And so – when she was filling out her class schedule for her senior year, what classes she was going to take, she's like, Mom, I, none of these classes, they're just boring. There's nothing I can accomplish. Mom, and Kelly said, take a welding class. So she did. <laughs> and so after the first three weeks, she's like, that was a stupid idea. I hate welding. And, and guess what? And, and she wasn't even welding then. She was just doing all of the three weeks worth of safety preparation so they could start welding, right? And right. now you should see her because we're, what, midway through the, the first semester. She's thinking up of things she can weld to make her life better. And it's just been a, a wonderful progression to watch her who would have never thought about taking welding. Now she's taking, by the way, her dad. When it was welding day in shop, he found someplace else to be because it's not like his forte. And she's yeah, really right. starting to get into it. And I talked to the teacher a lot, and he's a great guy. And he said it's just fun to have her in class. Right, right. And you know, and I'm also I also would think that the uh the other attendees in the class enjoyed that too. <laughs> yeah. Actually yeah, there's, were- there's two in the class. <laughs> Oh, there was only two in the welding class. There's two. Oh, geez, I, I wish Trent. I wish you know. I was fortunate. I took auto shop when I was in high school, and that was quite valuable. But I wish I took some welding. Um, but let's let's talk on that because if you look, if you look at everything in your house and everything on your farm, it's generally a combination of two things: wood and metal. And that society is based on the ability to sculpt tools out of either wood or metal. And you need wood to make metal, right? Because of, of burning and smelting, right? Or coal, but originally it was wood. And you need metal to shape wood with the cutting tools. So right there, is the focus of of one of the keys for society your ability to uh, to manipulate wood and metal and of course welding is incredibly important because it uh, allows us to join metal together and if we look at the usables our supply chain 
is going to collapse, in my opinion and the opinion of uh, many others. And um, just yesterday came out an article, Trans-Pacific shipping rates plunge 75% as U.S. retail demand falters. So we're seeing the global supply chain collapse. Having those important usables in your control and, and, and uh, stocking up on them is, is, is critical. And one of them um, is welding rods and welding, welding wire. I think you're almost always going to be able to find a welder, meaning the machine. But we're going to run out of welding rods and welding wire. Of course, we, we talked on this. I think there's a manufacturer still up and running out your way. Um, I think it, it might be Hobart. I'm not really sure. Um, but, but, but still, if the supply chain goes down, you know, the, we're in New Jersey. It's 2,000 miles away. um but and and it doesn't and we don't know if um if the manufacturing of welding sticks um have all their materials sourced from the united states and that's the biggie we have lost our a good amount of our manufacturing and sourcing uh to overseas so when the supply chain stops those materials stop, right? So it's it's best to get them now. I was trying to be quick and look up the uh, welding equipment manufacturer in the U.S., but I'm not seeing it right off. I did do uh, a couple of trend on the looses about the, uh, well, Kentucky welding is the one that comes to mind. They they right. built this system where they're educating people. They're coming from all over the country to this part of Kentucky to to learn to weld. You you can't help but wonder if it wasn't intentional that we've moved away in my lifetime. I've seen this where you know I was kind of I graduated high school in 1984, and I was kind of on the front end of where parents were telling kids you don't. Don't return to farm. Don't return to some hands-on project. Go get an ag business degree. Go get some a banking degree. Go get something else. And now we have a whole society that that is struggling with the skill set to do the basics of what we're talking about here today. Yes, and I I believe that it was intentional, right? You know, we go back to Sun Tzu's. The supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Mm-hmm. So. If you look, the value of a country is based in, one, its manufacturing, two, its mineral uh, wealth, and three, its agriculture. So if you look, our manufacturing was offshored. Uh, um, Our mineral uh, excavation was uh, shut down, you know, the spotted owl uh, because of the EPA um, crap. Uh, horse manure, road apples, and the um, and we had a very diverse, incredible food grid, which is where I'm focused on, where we had small farms and big farms throughout the country, and the, that was uh, taken apart. And 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 so now we're looking at it, and 
uh, who actually there's the question. We had no food security in the country. Who in the country is responsible to create food security? Well, it's not the farmer. Right. You know, it, it's that's like saying, well, um, Lockheed Martin is responsible to pay for all the missiles they make. Well, you know, that's that's uh, military defense. Well, what about food security, which is a security, national security issue? Well, you can't ask for the farmer to pay for it. So what's going on here? Right? And, and literally, it looks like since maybe about Project Paperclip, um, things started to go south. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, they're south right now because they are. Um, I'm talking. I mean, just all of a sudden, people in my community, my community being farmers who take care of the land, uh, they just they've hit the wall. That we've been this breed of people who are optimistic, and this week I've talked to people who are like, I can't maintain my optimism anymore. We're in trouble. I'm like, yeah, well, we've been talking about that, but we weren't paying attention. We're all out. We're also in trouble with the clock. We'll be back with the second half right after this. Let's take a moment and talk about the beef business. Certified Piedmontese creates opportunities for Great Plains cattlemen to get paid properly $180 more than you'll get at the sale barn. I honestly don't know of a niche program that pays better than Certified Piedmontese because the family behind the Lone Creek Cattle Company system truly understands that if we do not have the cow-calf man on the prairie producing the calves, there'll be no beef to sell. It's that simple. The Piedmontese sires work extremely well because they adapt to any production system. The performance is fantastic. I know that the early Piedmontese had a, a squirrely nature. I, I cannot believe the disposition of my calves and the bulls that we use from Lone Creek. They've been absolutely fantastic. Get details about adding more value to your system at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Welcome back to Rural Route. Trent Luce in the second half only wasted 4 minutes and 16 seconds on the day. It has been 40 minutes and 60 seconds before. J.C. Yeah. Cole here in the era of preparation. Uh, for the listener, we have to recreate a bit of stuff. You mentioned before we went to the break about manufacturing mineral and agriculture. I just want to remind people because it's often overlooked, unless you're from the southeast. The southeast does a tremendous job. There's a lot of places that used to grow grass that fed cattle that now grow trees and uh, farming in the southeast includes trees but lumber is part of the agricultural complex jc and, and people just seem to have forgotten that yes and and that led on to um <clears throat> where uh, uh vitally important is is um is uh what to do with lumber and in my investment i had uh, <clears throat> included uh, uh, purchasing something called a wind, uh, wood miser, which is made out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is a kind of like a backyard uh, a lumber mill so that you can produce dimensional lumber. And that will be very important if the system breaks that you have to have things regionally manufactured. And of course, here in the Northeast, we have a lot of trees and that will be able to do certain things. But that led into <clears throat> You you have to look at farming, and farming is going to be the one of the most, if not the most, important uh, issues, uh, especially for us in the East Coast, because we have to create more farms 
So how do you create split rail fencing or fencing? And, and uh, if you have the ability to uh, manipulate um, wood uh, and create lumber, you can do that. One of the other things, though, is that, especially for farmers, is that uh, I'm not sure we manufacture metal fencing anymore. And that uh, an electrical fencing, I think the majority of it comes from China. And, and you better get it now because uh, it looks like shipping is starting to close down. And, and if we ever go to war with China, um, it will be turned off instantly. So um, I am not a fan. I think that the solar farms that they're putting in today are a complete disaster. I not only think that they're a waste, I think that uh, they're a disaster. But at a, a local level, I'm talking local, like on our place or at your house, I think that solar energy provides opportunities. So what we have done for 29 years of our married life with the cattle is that our cattle are controlled under a hot wire all the time. And the old age solar systems, you had to lug around a, like a car battery and take it to this and, and that. Now they've got new solar units that are so powerful and they're, they're the size of a pogo stick that as long as you, like you said, as long as you have the fence supplies on hand, there will never be an issue with fencing. Well, I mean, never is not a good word to put in any sentence, but you have an optimistic point of view to be able to create a fence wherever you want it. And we use the polywire, which means it can be here today and over there tomorrow. And it uses those solars and that just works extremely well for us. And I know a lot of people do that through rotational grazing. Yeah, no, the same, same here. I have, um, you know, I keep, uh, uh, my, my goats and, uh, my chickens in, in control with, um, with electrical fencing. <clears throat> and, uh, I have, I'm not using them right now. I have stored uh, solar uh, units. So my main my main unit is uh, 110 volt. Uh, and if that goes out, I have uh, stored solar units. And you can also get the, the battery backup ones that uh, run on 12 volt. Um, but yeah, you know, you have to think about this now. If the grid goes down, what are you going to do to keep those cows in line? Yeah. You know? And uh um, uh, a solar, uh, what would you call it? Charger, I guess, fence charger, uh, is very valuable. And, and that's another thing that people don't, aren't thinking about. If the grid goes down, what becomes extremely scarce and valuable? One is a solar charger, right? Um, on, on defense, I keep on pointing it out, it'll be night vision. Uh, you know, because you're not going to have uh, the ability to see, turn on the lights and see outside. Uh, so, but one one thing I wanted to touch on was what you uh, we closed the last session with is that um, um, optimism is waning and that uh, people are getting pessimistic because the system is getting very very uh, tough and painful. So when I went to Latvia, you know, it, it was uh, 1992. It, you know, it was extremely stressful and difficult to get anything done. And um, if you weren't an optimist, you didn't survive for uh, uh, very long. 
But that didn't, doesn't mean that I didn't get depressed or upset or pessimistic on certain things until I came to the, the, uh, the awareness that I chose to go. I chose. And, and with that, it almost like lifted an entire burden. I chose and that this is part of the battle, you know, of, of, uh, of, uh, um, doing what I wanted to do. You know, and, uh, so we're human and we have to learn how our brain makes decisions. And one of them is called comparison. And when I, um, listen to some of the people who had challenges far, far greater than we ever had and what, um, and what they learned and how they, uh, how they, uh, got through it. And one of them is a guy named Lieutenant Gerald Coffey, as in coffee, um, spelled the same. You can find some of his speeches on YouTube. So it's for free. <laughs> and you listen to him. He was <clears throat> Gerald Coffey. And I listen to him anytime I find myself getting, you know, um, uh, upset or, or, um, uh, pessimistic. So he was a, um, he was a Air Force, uh, a fire pilot that got shot down over, uh, Vietnam and was put in the Hanoi Hilton for seven years. And the Hanoi Hilton was a, a, a very brutal place where he was in solitary confinement for seven years and in a tiny little cell that was probably seven feet long that to exercise, he had to just walk back and forth and that he got tortured almost every day. So, yes. Things on the farm are tough, but when you listen to this guy and listen to what he went through and, and how he got through it, it's incredibly inspiring. Because, listen, humanity is under attack. If you think this is bad, wait till it really hits the fan. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, and, and it's coming. Well, you know, it, I, I just yeah. wanted to share in that regard that the people I talk to that are losing optimism for agriculture – it's it's always in the context of the way things used to be. Yeah. So the future is not the way it used to be. It's going to be you you're going to have to find your own place and and value and be a part of it. And so if you lose that optimism, I agree with you 100%. You lose the fight. Yes. Yes, and and uh and and we have to understand what's coming. I mean, this is this can be incredibly um, um, uh, painful. You know, if if any part of like the book of Revelations plays out, uh, you better have some optimism on, on how to get through it. Um, well, I'd be hard-pressed not to say parts of the book of Revelations already played out. Yes, I would say that um, that, uh, <laughs> that might be that might be true. You know, which actually is a good lead into, you know, every week we look at uh, history and what was significant. And um, you know, October the 14th, I think this is very significant. 1952, 
almost in New York City, almost nobody thinks about it. The United Nations General Assembly meets for the first time and opens up. Oh, really? So you had the the United Nations open exactly 70 years ago, coming the 14th. Okay. And if you start to look, 70 years keeps on popping up like the queen was 70 years. And yes, it's basically in the Bible. And the other big one is 50 years. So you had 50 years since we were taken off the gold uh, standard. And we had 50 years since Klaus Schwab created his economic forum. So it looks like the time uh, clock is running out on what I'd call, um, you know, the, the, the evil ones. And if you actually look, many people who study the Bible heavily, which I'm not one of them, believes that the UN is the beast with seven heads and ten horns. And uh, that might be um, that might be accurate. I um, certainly, I think anybody who really looks at it realizes that the uh, UN is quite evil. Yeah, no doubt about it. But I did not know that uh, the World Economic Forum was fifty years old. Yeah, fifty years also. Hmm. And um, and and the other thing, you start to look at the the, the players, this long term players. Okay, uh, the UN got put in New York City um, by the Rockefellers donating land to put them up. Now I don't think the Rockefellers donating anything, and um, unless they get great benefit. And the, well, the other thing is where the where the UN was put up was the New York slaughterhouse, which had for over a hundred years had um, been the location to slaughter many animals. Roll out. We'll be back with more. Last segment after this. Hey, folks, I'd like your assistance. You've always been so good in this time. We want to take the wall of honor to a whole new level. Help recognize those who have served and help do that today. You can, the three things you can do, you can go get more information about who exactly is behind the wall of honor, what it takes to take it to the new level. It's like everything else. It's funding, making it happen at a bigger level. There's a place to donate. More importantly, we just want to say thank you to the men and women who've been there, done that, and helped. Maybe just go buy a piece of apparel. It's that simple. You can shop online, too. Whatever it takes to say thank you and honor those that have sacrificed before us, it's now our time. How are you going to be a part of it? The wall of honor.org. The rest is up to you. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose. They have a meatpacking district, J.C. Cole, in um, Manhattan by name. I was actually there when it was still functioning at a smaller level, but I, I went back and I've, I've read the history of that meatpacking district in New York City. There is nobody in New York City, I bet nobody, truly understands how vibrant it was in the late 1800s. Oh, yeah. That was amazing. Uh, it was amazing when you, you looked into the history on it. So, so here's another date that's interesting. 
right? October 10th, 1973. U.S. Vice President Spiro Agnew resigns after pleading no contest to alleged tax fraud. Hmm. Okay. And three days later, President Nixon nominates Gerald Ford to replace him as vice president. And then, of course, just uh, a few months later, August the 9th, 1974, Nixon resigns and Ford is our first unelected president. And, you know, we are positioned very uh, dangerously where this may happen again. I know. Right. And I think uh, anybody who's watching politics is very much aware of it. Um, You know, that Biden could be removed. I think I forgot what the amendment is. I think 25th, 25th. And uh, Harris is not qualified to be president. Uh, um, I'm not talking skill level. She's not qualified to be vice president skill level, in my opinion. Um, but uh, um, she is not. Uh, um, she was not born a U.S. citizen, and her parents, her parents were not U.S. citizens. She was born out of the country. Right. That, that clearly, so, that was known when she was picked. That's probably why she was clearly. picked. Which, I, which means the next in line is Pelosi. Uh, don't you think that Camila Harris, I mean, there was an accident last week, and I thought, oh, here we go. They're going to find a reason to get who they really want to be the president and be a vice president first. Well, it, it, I, I, nobody can I want, think that nobody they, can want Nancy Pelosi. I think there will be one hell of a, of a, of a sewage uh, um, hitting the fan in Washington that day. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, uh, but but it's 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 something to pay attention to. I think that uh, Camila Harris's skills ended at the saloon girl. <clears throat> so here's an interesting thing that's coming along. I believe October the eleventh, nineteen twenty-three, <clears throat> the German mark fell to 10 billion per one British pound. Right? So that's hyperinflation. And that would be um, 4 billion per dollar. So if you actually look, it says a couple of things. One was the pound to the dollar was about um, um, one pound equal $2.5. And recently, it's almost on par. So yeah, it's been one to one for like a month, right? It, it's it's a it's a hovering right in there. <clears throat> so so what what you have to think is that if you were in Germany, your inflation rate um, was was stunning. This is four billion per dollar. You know, and on a percentage, you add a couple extra zeros, so you're at four hundred billion. Um, to look at the percentage rate of change. Uh, it's it stunning. And so October the 11th, 1994, so the Russian ruble went to basically 4,000 rubles to the dollar. Right? And I was there. 
I was, I was watching this. I was in it. Um, and what people don't, don't know then is before the Soviet Union, uh, collapsed, the official exchange rate was one ruble to two dollars. So that means that the ruble had a, a um, an eight thousand ruble change to the dollar. So if it, on percentage, if you had you know um, a couple of zeros, um, that would be eight hundred thousand percent change. That's pretty devastating. That's significant. It got to the point that the ruble was changing so fast that they didn't even price the the objects in in rubles. What they, what what they um, they they basically left the price. I, and when you got to the cash register, they'd have the exchange rate at the cash register. So wow. they only had to change one one sign. Yes. And I remember one time I was I, I saw a piece of a, a, a carving that I liked, and it was ten thousand Latvian rubles. And I'm there like, oh geez, uh, I, you know. And I, should I negotiate with it? You know, maybe I can get them down to nine thousand rubles. And I, I argued with myself for over half a half an hour when I finally figured out it was ten dollars. And I was arguing with myself for half an hour over fifty cents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that had to be worse than uh, failing to hit the record button. Well, yeah, you know, it, it's one of those lessons that you just learn. You go, yeah. wait a minute, it's yeah, a, right. you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta calculate this. So, so what I think is going to happen is all of the um, the fiat money, uh, other currencies are all going to drop significantly to the dollar. So the the exchange value to other currencies, the dollar will grow in strength, and. Then finally, when when um, the euro goes, I think the dollar will go a couple of weeks later. Right, so you've got to prepare for that. So I want to uh, step back because I want to delve a little deeper into that mindset. I mean, you point blank said when I went over to Lafia, if you were not optimistic, you did not survive. How, how did people find their optimism, and and how did the the mental aspect of that play out in the early years? Uh, yeah, it was... A, <laughs> a, well, that's really tough to answer. Um, you kind of learned how to recharge because it was so emotionally draining. And actually, that was quite a big value for me. What I found out was um, that if I... Uh, occasionally had dinner with other foreigners, we could recharge and laugh about all the crazy things. And I actually started to set up the dinner. So once a week, it was called uh, Riga expats. All the expats would get together and we'd have dinner together and we'd be able to bitch and moan and complain and let out our stress on all the different things. I mean, literally the, the phone system was so bad there that uh, uh, two out of three calls were wrong numbers. Wow. Right. And you had to um, dial the phone physically. It was the old dial system, but you couldn't let it return by itself. You had to slowly let it return because if it returned by itself, it would dial the wrong number. 
I mean, I mean, that's just one example of of uh, uh, of things. So, um, if you, you said you went to, to dinner, did, did you go to a restaurant or you gather at somebody's house or how did that? No, work? We, we we went to we'd find uh, different restaurants. There they were, had restaurants open. Well, they had some of. Uh, we were in the center capital city, so there was enough supply. Uh, uh, and financing for the old Soviet restaurants to kind of still work. The top Soviet restaurants. Mm-hmm. Actually, the top Soviet restaurants were not particularly big, but during the Soviet time, you couldn't get in them unless you were a VIP. Oh, That's right. how, right. And so um then all of a sudden when the system changed they would take normal people at the tour and and would still have a cash flow right and um and it would cost you could go out to dinner and and uh, and drink all night for under three dollars right because of the, the 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 strength of the uh dollar in exchange for the weakness of the latvian uh, currency, the Latvian ruble at that point. They had to have a, com- um, a conversion currency. They couldn't just go straight into a final currency. Right. So I've been, through, been through, I've been, I've been through four different currency changes from the, the Soviet ruble to the Latvian ruble to the Latvian lat to the euro. Right. And, um, you know, that, and, and people just haven't had this experience. It's one of the, one of the advantages I've had, I've had this experience. It's brutal. We can't even imagine. We're so used. Well, we don't use dollars anymore. We just use a card, but we can't even imagine what that's like that where your currency doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it. And the the same thing with banking crash, you know, all of a sudden um, the bank crashes, it's closed. Your, your money in the account is gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we have FDIC. You won't have FDIC because they only insure about 1% of all banking. So if you have 2% of banking or 3% of banking go down in the United States, the FDIC is bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah, I don't rely on that. Last, yes. last minute, JC, what do we need to most know in the era of preparation today? Well, Okay, well, I would, you know, prepare food, water, medicine, um, precious metals, including lead. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Good luck finding some lead. Yes, and uh, get the books, uh, you know, when technology fails, because we're watching it fail around the world. And Dare to Prepare by Holly Dale, because th- these will have uh, many of the answers um, and, uh, of what to do, right? Um, for heat, if you, you know, if you can get a wood burning stove, get water filters, get a Coleman camp stove or one of the similar ones. You know, if you look, Europe is going to be shut off. These people won't be able to cook if they have no electricity or no gas. So yeah. if you have your own camping stove, you can cook. And then, of course, food, rice, beans, lentils. Don't forget lentils. Right. And uh, a combination of sauces. So you have a variation. That is where we end it, a variation of food. And be prepared for J.C. Cole. I'm Trent Luce. Both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a roll route. 
And final thing today I want to talk about is nitric oxide. You know, we've been talking about cholesterol. I'm going to talk a lot more about cholesterol because we've had some of the key elements of healthy living demonized, like nitrates and cholesterol. Nitric oxide is the supplementation I take and suggest you do as well. N-O-2-U.com. Put Trent as your coupon code.